Greetings to all of God's people. This is Morica Joseph. And we are now in Lesson 48. Last time we finished with uh, Chapter 57 of Isaiah. And in Chapter 59, the whole chapter basically speaks about the sins and iniquities of Israel, and for that matter, all human beings. We have the same afflictions, and God basically is telling his people. And mind you, in specific, always remember in specific, as we're reading about this book, uh, the emphasis is on Judah and Jerusalem, and of course that's applicable also to all generations to our very day, to all of Israel, and as I said, also to all of humanity. And God basically tells people who are constantly asking questions, well, how come God let Johnny die, or how come the Holocaust, or how come the pogrom, or war, or bloodshed, or crime, or whatever it may be, and if God is a God of love, how come He does not intervene? And people are not bothering about reading the Word of God and finding out the answer. They just ask questions with an accusative uh, spirit. And that's not the way to, uh, to approach God. And so in chapter 59, he tells us, Behold, the Eternal's hand is not shortened, that's in verse 1, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot fear, oh, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, he's pointing the finger at the very one who are accusing him, it's your iniquities that has separated you from your God. And that's generally speaking. There are cases where there are no iniquities, at least on the part of the person who is suffering, could be somebody else. But generally speaking, it is our iniquity. Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. And so the people of Judah oftentimes were wondering, where is God? David oftentimes wondered when he was in trouble, where was God? And that is natural. Even when Jesus Christ was on the cross, you could see that the distress that he was going through, and when you're under tremendous distress, you know, your emotions uh, get the best of you sometimes, or sometimes you just see things differently. And so when he was on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, where are you, God, when I'm in trouble? Well, that's natural. When we're in trouble, children do the same. Uh, they get ang angry at their parents because they're in pain and the parents don't help them. They don't understand why. And that, that's a natural human reaction. But God here is, speci is specifically talking about a reality that when, generally speaking, people are in affliction, in oppression, all kind of evil things happen to us. If it's not a direct cause and effect that's something that we have done, it is a general pattern that we have set for ourselves that creates an awful lot of problems for us and for our children who may be innocent at times. And yet, for example, if somebody was uh, careless and uh, maybe a little bit drunk, whatever it may be, he takes his family on the road after uh, going to visit somebody, a family, whatever it may be, had a little bit too much to drink, well, he gets into an accident, let's say uh, people get killed or wounded or hurt, whatever. Uh, many of them are innocent, they haven't done anything wrong. And yet, it's the iniquity of the person who got them into trouble but created the problem. And God does not intervene in those cases where he delivers everybody but the person who is responsible for it. So sometimes, you know, the iniquities of others are causing us to suffer. And so, generally speaking, it's still the same. God says, it's your iniquities that have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. So he can pray all you want. God is not going to listen. For your hands are defiled with blood, 
and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, no one does any plead for truth, and he can go on and on and on. And so he's describing how everything is wrong in the society, and all the consequences, and crime is everywhere, and injustices, and iniquities are everywhere, and the heart of people is not what it should be. As you read in Matthew 24:14, because iniquity abounds, the love of many waxes cold. So you have a society which is like that. And all of us, to one degree or the other, contribute to this state of affairs, even though sometimes we don't realize it. And so our collective iniquities bring upon ourselves an awful lot of troubles. And yet, generally speaking, when we deal with a person like that, who behaves in that manner, we just wash our hands of that person, say, I don't want to see you anymore, I don't want to hear from you anymore. And that's generally when we have either a divorce in a marriage, a divorce in a relationship, a divorce in friendship, and so forth. And sometimes, you know, even divorce between uh, parents and children. And nowadays, things are getting so weird that even children divorce their own parents. They go to a legal uh, court to do it. And so, people look at the people of Judah, the nations have looked at the nation of Judah and they said, surely God has forsaken this people, rejected his people, and so he chosen us. That was another reason for this false concept that arose within the body of Christ and mainly by those who did not have a background, no knowledge and understanding of the God of Israel, no comprehension of his grace and mercy and compassion, no understanding of his fatherhood and his love toward his wife. And so they say, well, God had rejected them and now you've chosen us. And yet, at the end of the chapter, in spite of all the evils that they have committed, and remember, the emphasis here is on Judah and Jerusalem, and for that matter, all of Israel were guilty, and all nations are guilty, and our sins are the ones that crucified our God and Creator and Maker, and it's not the sins of any particular group. In spite of that, verse 20, God makes it very plain that He does not reject His people in spite of all that they have done to themselves, to each other, and to their God. Verse 20, the Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Eternal. So God never rejects his people. Though he's, you know, he's describing in this chapter all of their iniquities. And anybody else would have given up on such people, but not God. So God never rejected his people. And you can see how evil it is on the part of those who teach this doctrine, which is a false doctrine. Their evil is double. Hatred, animosity, and envy, and bigotry, and hypocrisy toward the people of God, and then blasphemy toward God himself. And against his grace, against his own nature and character, against his plans, and his oath, and the covenants, and the promises, and all those things. This is in essence what they're, what they're doing by proposing this doctrine that God had rejected his people and chosen us. And because of the false doctrine of heaven and hell, for centuries they said, they all are going to hell, or they're all in hell, and who cares about them? So let's kill them, because they are the children of the devil, and so forth. 
But God said that the Redeemer will come to Zion. And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Eternal. Verse 21, as for me. That is in contrast to the lie that has been taught. As for me, says the Eternal, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is in me, or that is, is upon you, that is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Eternal, from this time and forevermore. In other words, when the Redeemer comes to Zion, he's going to make a new covenant with the house of Judah, and the house of Israel is going to write his laws in their heart and minds, and therefore, those words will never depart anymore from the descendants of Israel. Oh, Jacob. Because the husband will never forsake his wife. That's why in another place God says, I hate divorce. He gets angry with his people. He punishes his people. He sends them into captivity. He exposes their sins before all, but he hates divorce. Even though they killed him, he rose again. And the reason why he died is to atone for their sins. Not because they killed him, but because he gave his life, willingly. Because he was slain from the foundation of the earth, as we read in Revelation. Because as we read in Isaiah 53, it pleased the Father to bruise him, to afflict him, to crush him, so to speak so that he can make his body a sin offering for his people. And that's what the scripture is all about in John 3.16, that people don't understand the background to it. God so loved the world, loved Israel, loved Jacob, not hated, that he gave his only begotten son so that Jacob... Israel and the rest of humanity will not die. And we have to see it from God's point of view. Without a background, people read that statement and have no knowledge and understanding for what it really means, as they should. And so you always go to the Word of God to illuminate you, and you don't invent your own knowledge and understanding and doctrines and religions. And that's exactly what the false churches of Revelation 17 have done. We must come out of that Babylon. Chapter 16. And verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. You see, now that the Redeemer is coming to, to Zion, or return to Zion, and uh, God is writing his new covenant in the hearts of Israel and Judah, now he's going to direct his attention to the description of how things are going to be from now on. So, chapter 16. And to the end of the book tells us an awful lot about that. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the eternal is risen upon you. Speaking by the children of Israel, the house of Israel, the wife of God, the bride of the Lamb. And some of them are going to be spirit beings, but the majority are still going to be physical beings. And the Holy Spirit will be poured upon them. And so they shall know him from the greatest to the least. People did not realize that they told the Lamb... Uh, you know, that the marriage of the Lamb is only between uh, Jesus Christ and those who are going to become spirit beings. Well, that's only a part of it. That's only the uh, one level of it. 
But God made it very plain. He's going to remarry all of Israel, as we read earlier. For your maker is your husband. And we shall read more later on. Scriptures where God makes it very plain. He's going to bring back his people Israel, all of them, house of Israel and house of Judah. And he's going to forgive them their sins and iniquities and pour his spirit upon them. They shall be his people and, bring, and he shall bring them back to the land and plant them from the Euphrates to the Nile. They're physical people. And he's married to them. He will marry them. That's the marriage of the Lamb. Spiritual and physical. That's like when he came on, he came on Mount Sinai. And he married Israel. And some of them were spiritual, like Moses and Aaron and, and the elders, to whom he gave the Spirit, and Joshua, and who knows how many others. And throughout their history, the wife of God was always composed of those who were spiritual, that is, had the Spirit of God, and those who were physical. And now it's going to be composed again of those who are spiritual, only this time, on, not only Spirit of God in them, but their body also will be spiritual. And also the rest will be physical, and most of them will have the Spirit of God in them. And then the children, as they grow older and repent, they too are going to have it. And people who do not study the Word of God carefully, and don't let God himself explain to them the story from the beginning until the end, get confused and invent all those, all those doctrines. I have to admit that most of us are totally ignorant about this knowledge and understanding about the two levels of the, of the church of God that God is going to marry. And the, the one that became the, the fiancé of Jesus Christ, so to speak, with the beginning of this new phase on Pentecost 2,000 years ago. It was a physical and a spiritual entity. And to say that the, the church is only a spiritual organism, that's a false doctrine. It's not biblical doctrine. It's not based on the Bible. It's based on mis misconception. Even the Apostle Paul, with all of his conversion, the Holy Spirit in him, still said, the low spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And we do not become perfect the first moment we are converted and the Spirit is given to us. We're still carnal. And so the Church of God has always been spiritual and carnal at the same time. It's nothing new. But when you listen to false doctrines, you become blinded and you don't see the truth anymore that you are reading very plainly in your own Bible. And look what he said about the Corinthian church and all the problems. Supposed to be, you know, the people of God, church of God, who had the spirit of God. Many gifts, without measure. Could do an awful lot of things. And yet, was as, were as carnal as they could be. So, you see the, uh, the constant uh, uh, thread there uh, throughout the history of the church of God. The church of God was always spiritual and carnal at the same time. And when David, the prophet of God, the man according to God's own heart, who had the spirit of God in him, that was not an issue, commits adultery and commits murder, he's carnal and he's spiritual at the same time. And he needs to repent so the spirit can produce more fruit instead of the spirit of uh, the wrong uh, God in him. And that's the story of the church. It's been always spiritual and physical. And the day will come when some will be totally spiritual while all the rest are still working on it, so to speak. But they're all part of the same church and they're part of the same marriage and a part of the same bride that God is going to marry. And so, let's understand it from God's point of view. 
as I said many times, put on the eyeglasses of God and look at his truth from his point of view, not from the point of view of the churches of Revelation 17, which the overwhelming majority of us have done. No wonder why we got mixed up in many areas. And so God says, Arise, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the eternal is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the eternal will arise over you. You see the contrast. You, the people of Israel, in contrast to all the nations of the earth, who are still awaiting salvation, so to speak, that comes through Israel, for salvation is of the Jews. And the Jews are members of the people of Israel. And Christ is including also all the house of Israel. At the time he said of the Jews, because Israel was not, a, was not uh, on the scene. But he means all of Israel, because all of Israel was chosen, all of Jacob, to be a light to the nations. And so that's what God is saying to his own people. All the nations of the earth are still in darkness, but Christ came to you. Christ came to his own and is going to deliver his people Israel from all the corners of the earth. Bring them back to the land. And then make them the light of the nations. And this is exactly what we are going to read now. And so it says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, all the nations, but the Eternal will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. The nations, the Gentiles, shall come to your light. That's how Israel is going to finally fulfill His commission. He's not even going to have to travel all, all around the earth. The nations will be coming to Israel. Just like they came in the days of King Solomon. From all nations of the earth, they came to hear His wisdom. And they're coming to hear the wisdom of Israel, and to learn of the ways of Israel, because they know that God is with them and Israel will fulfill his purpose so the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together they come to you your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side in essence God is speaking to Jerusalem now the symbol of the nation so I said all the children of Jerusalem are coming back children of Israel. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall dwell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nation shall come to you. The multitude of, of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephra and all of Sheba shall come. In other words, all the nations around the Middle East that were your enemies all this time are going to come and seek your peace instead of war. And they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Eternal. What a difference! Once they see the salvation of, of God that came upon Israel, and will know that God is with them. God is going to make them come to Jerusalem, as he said. In Zechariah 14, on the Feast of Tabernacles, he's going to make all the nations of the earth come and worship him. So, begin to learn his ways. And as they come, they're going to come into the, to the city of Jerusalem, where the children of Israel are going to teach them the ways of God. And that's the purpose of the whole story. And people don't get it and go into false doctrines and they think, well, the church is going to heaven. And there is this new doctrine today among uh, so-called evangelicals. At least a part of them believe it. They claim, well, the church is going to heaven, but Israel is going to be established on this earth. So, they in essence, believe in two churches you know, without even thinking about it. And that's confusion. 
is only one. Some of them will be spiritual, spirit beings, and the rest are physical. And all of them will be in that territory of Jerusalem and the land around it. That's where the apostles are going to be ruling the twelve tribes of Israel. That's where the church is. Verse 7. All the flocks of Peter shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar. They're going to be accepted. The sacrifices will be accepted. And I will glorify the house of my glory. Speaking about the temple that is going to be built. The temple of uh, Ezekiel, not the temple that uh, the Jews are going to erect now on a temporary basis. And so God is describing uh, all the nations of the earth coming to Israel to learn of the ways of God. And verse 9, surely the coastline shall wait for me. All the nations of the earth are going to wait for me. They are going to come before me. And the only way, you see, the only entrance the nations ever had to God was through Israel. That's what Paul told the Ephesians later on. In time past, he used to be Gentiles. And because they were Gentiles, they were cut off from the commonwealth of Israel, from the promises, from the covenants, from hope, from God. You were without God, without hope. But now, God grafted you, you know, some of the wild olive branches, individuals here from there and there, from different nations. Not the nations, just individuals among them. And now they have access to God through the commonwealth of Israel. That's why Christ was saying to the Samaritan, Salvation is of the Jews. You've got to come through the Jews to God or through Israel, through the twelve tribes. And as they enter into the gates of Jerusalem, on top of the gate they're going to see the names of the tribes of Israel. That's the only way they can come to God, through Israel. And people that don't read the Bible properly and they're blind and they're drunk, you know, the wine or the fornications of the, of the of Revelation, you know, 17 churches, they can't see straight, they can't see clearly. And so they get confused by all the scriptures, they don't see. It's like the people who, who believe that they're going to heaven and then they believe in the resurrection. What do you need to be resurrected from if you're either in heaven or in hell? That's confusion. And both. The house of Israel and the house of Judah are into that total confusion because they're both swimming in the waters of Babylon. God tells, tells them, come out of it. Dry up. You know? And so, he says, all the coastlines shall wait for me in verse 9. And uh, the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them. See, is he speaking about physical people, the people of God, the church of God. Uh, to the name of the eternal, your God, and to the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. And he's speaking about the nation, the physical people. Beside the glory that he's going to give to some of them who have overcome and endured until the end and will be in the first resurrection and be spirit beings, but the ones who are alive still in the flesh, the marriage is going to be with all of them. Some will be spiritual and majority physical. And those who read only the New Testament have no knowledge, no understanding of that, and that's why they're confused. And so the sons of the foreigners in verse 10 shall build up your walls, and their king shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. That's the grace of God, and people don't understand it. They want grace to themselves, and they deny it to the people of Israel, and that's blasphemy against God, hatred against God and his people. 
And God made it very plain to Abraham. People who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. Who do not want to be in that category. God is not mocked. Verse 11, Therefore your gates shall be open continually. And the gates of Jerusalem will have the names of the twelve tribes. And the nations who come to God will have to enter through those gates. There is no other way to God. And there shall not be shut day or night that bring men, that, that men may bring to you the wealth of the nations and their kings in procession. For the nation and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish. Period. What are the nations going to do about it? Rebel? And those nations shall be utterly ruined. That will be their end. You read in Zechariah 14:17 the same thing. People do not come to worship God and come to his people Israel and through the gates of Israel are going to be dead. Simple. That's the church of God. Verse 13, the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, and the box tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, which is going to be in the midst of the children of Israel. That's where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be. Not up in heaven. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. Also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you and all those who despised you. And you see an awful lot of that. And unfortunately you see an awful lot of that among the children of Israel against their brethren Judah. Which is again a blasphemy toward God. To see his children having that kind of an attitude toward one another. And they shall come bound to you, and all those who despise you shall fall prostrate at your soles of your feet. They're going to lick the dust of Jerusalem, all the people of God. That's what you read later on in Revelation. I'm going to make them who claim to be Jews and are not Jews to come and bow the knees before you and worship you. And people that read it in the New Testament don't understand what it means. Here it is. 2,800 years ago, it was already recorded by the children of Israel, the church of God, of whom some will be spirit beings, and they are going to be worshipped in the, in the sense of worshipping God, and of the people of God who are still physical, and people are going to bow the knees and prostrate their souls at your feet, the feet of Jerusalem, the symbol of the nation. And in doing so, they are, in essence, worshipping God. It's not that you worship men. You worship God, and everybody who becomes a part of that family is going to be worshipped. But also the nation itself is going to be adored and admired and glorified. And people will come and prostrate the soles of their feet before the city of Jerusalem. And they shall call you the city of the eternal Zion, of the Holy One of Israel. And that's what I was asking the question in the beginning. Who and what is the church of God? From his point of view. And here it is, you have it, time after time after time. Israel and the city, Jerusalem or Zion, that symbolizes the nation. That's why later on in Revelation you read, 21 I believe, or maybe 22, where the angel says, Behold, I'll come and show you the bride of the Lamb, and he shows him heaven and Jerusalem. And he says, Well, how can heaven and Jerusalem be the bride? Well, it's symbolic of the nation of Israel, that's how. When heaven and Jerusalem descends down, people look at that city. What do they see? Twelve foundations 
with the names of the twelve tribes of Israel, uh, that is, the, the, the apostles that rule over the twelve tribes of Israel, and the twelve gates of the city, with the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. That's why it's called the Bride of the Lamb, because it's all symbolic of the Church of God. That's why heaven in Jerusalem is the mother of us all, and not any human organization. And that's a blasphemy again, when people take it upon themselves to call themselves the mother. This is what Revelation 17 had done. How can a church be a mother when the marriage has not occurred yet? And the nation was not born yet. And there are those who are trapped in that organization that calls itself the mother, thinking, well, I can never leave the church because that's the true church of God. These are doctrines of Babylon, and they're trapped by the doctrines of Babylon to their own destruction, unfortunately, unless they come out of it before it's too late. And so God is making it very plain that people will come and worship the city of God, worship the people of God, so to speak. Verse 15, Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no one went through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the nations, the Gentiles, and the milk of the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Eternal, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob, because today Jerusalem does not know. Today the Church of God does not know who is the Redeemer, because only few of them have that knowledge, and the majority are in blindness and ignorance and darkness. Still in Babylon in many ways, be it the world of Christianity, speaking about the children of Israel that are members of it, or the world of Judaism. They don't know who is the Redeemer, and the Savior, and the Mighty One of Jacob. They're in total blindness and darkness and ignorance, children of Babylon in many ways. And God is commending all the twelve tribes, His church, including us, who have the Spirit, who may be mixed up in many areas. Come out of Babylon. And you see the two levels of the church of God. Some are spiritual, some are not. Majority are not, but they will be. Verse 17, instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. In other words, it's going to glorify his city. Verse 18. Oh, well, actually, verse 17. And instead of stones, iron, I will make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. What is righteousness? Only the Torah of God can tell you that. The law of God, the instructions of God. From Genesis to Revelation. That's what the Torah is all about. From Genesis to Revelation. First, it was the book of the law. Five books of Moses. But even then, Moses was not in existence when Genesis was around. In other words, the book of Genesis. Until the death of Jacob. So that's not a part of the book of the law, but because it contains the covenants and promises and all that, the whole thing became known as the book of the law. Five books of Moses. But God didn't stop revealing his truth in words and instructions. He continued, generation after generation. And he hasn't stopped to this uh, day either. And he's not going to stop in the future. So the Torah is an eternal thing. It will continue. It's basically the instructions of God whenever he gives them, at any given time, even into eternity. That's why the Word of God, it says, your Word stands in the heavens. You know, it's an eternal thing, forever. You can't limit it to one person or one age or one generation or one event. And the, the sooner people understand it, the sooner they're going to develop an appreciation for the Torah of God. 
The Word of God. God Himself. That's what it is. The Word of God, the Torah of God is God Himself. His nature, His mind, His character, His personality, His instructions, His feelings and emotions, huh? His philosophy of life, how He feels about this and that and the other thing. That's what the Torah is all about. And people have resentment toward the Torah, not even knowing what it is. And so God says, I'm going to make your magistrates righteousness. No more unrighteous. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land. Verse 18, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation. Why? Because all the nations of the earth are going to enter through those walls, through the gates, to receive salvation. That's why. And your gates praise you can imagine the nations of the earth entering through the gates with the names of the tribes of Israel. They are going to praise God and honor God and dance before God and rejoice before God. It's going to be another way in another world, another time, so to speak. Verse 19, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon, the moon uh, give light to you. In other words, God is going to be there. And then ultimately, when you go to Revelation, when the heaven and Jerusalem descends, this is the description that you, you see here. This goes into, into the, the millennium, through the millennium, and the coming of the heaven and Jerusalem, and to eternity. That's why the, the, the prophets of Israel, through whom Jesus Christ spoke to his people, are part of the foundation of the church. And there are those who are teaching this false doctrine, that the prophets of Israel are not a part of the foundation of the church, because they don't even know what the church is, to begin with. Such ignorance, it's unbelievable. So he says, Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. Verse 20, For the eternal will be... Actually, in verse 19, uh, The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for, your, for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the eternal will be to you an everlasting light, and your God, your glory. The eternal and God, speaking about two beings, that is, uh, the Lamb and the Father. Now he's speaking about heaven and Jerusalem. Verse 20, your sun shall no, long, no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the eternal will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. No more. So that includes all the children of Israel who ever lived that will be resurrected in the second resurrection, and will be in Jerusalem the rest of the land. And also, your people shall be righteous, they shall inherit the land forever. When were they rejected? They are going to inherit it forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. And some people want to take that glory away from God himself. When they reject the identity of the true church, Israel, a little one shall become a thousand and a small one, a strong nation, I, the Eternal, will hasten it in its time. It's not a Jewish conspiracy or an Israelite conspiracy or whatever. It's all of God. And the sooner we get that picture, the better it's going to be for us. And then God continues. The one who became Jesus Christ, who speaks constantly to his apostles, to his prophets in the, in the days of old, in person, at times, other times, he dictates to them. You see, all these things that you're reading, it's not Isaiah inventing these things. It's not 
This is what God gave, gave him to record. That's a vision that he gave to him concerning Judah and Jerusalem and the rest of the nation of Israel. Chapter 61, the Spirit of the Eternal, God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And so when he came in the flesh, he deliberately on that occasion, as the law and the prophet were being read, in the synagogue according to the will of God and some people have forgot how to do uh, how to serve God anymore on the Sabbath come and do their own things speak their own words and pontificate and throw a few scriptures here and there and some do a better job than others instead of the reading of the law and the prophet that has always been in, in the front of the tabernacle and then later on the temple and then the synagogue and so forth and to this very day in the Jewish synagogue but not in the, among the churches of Israel and so he said uh, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the eternal. Acceptable, you know, what kind of year is talking about? The year that is going to bring salvation to his people, Israel, and then to the rest of mankind through them later on. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion. And when he said on the mount, Blessed are they who mourn. This is what he's talking about, about his people Israel. Well, the iniquities that are in the land. To console those who mourn in Zion. He could have said all around the earth. He didn't. He said in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called the trees of righteousness. Who? The people of God, the people of Israel the planting of the eternal, that he may be glorified. That's how the Redeemer of Israel is being glorified, when his people Israel return to him and are beautified with salvation and are justified and all their sins are forgiven because he gave his life for them. And then through them he's going to offer that salvation to all of humanity on a national scale not anymore on an individual scale only as it was in the past for the nations. So that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the eternal, that he may be glorified. Verse 4. And they, the children of Israel, shall rebuild the old ruins. Street beings don't need to do it. They shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the ruined cities of Israel, which are going to see whatever is there, even that is going to be destroyed. So they're going to repair everything so the children of Israel can inhabit the land again from the Euphrates to the Nile. Verse 5, Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. Instead of coming and making war against them, they're going to work for them. But you shall be named the priests of the eternal. Just like he told them before they came to Mount Sinai to receive the law. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall become a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And when Peter, the apostle to the circumcision, not to the uncircumcision, not to the Gentiles, but the apostle to the circumcision, when he went to his own people, Judah and Babylon, and then to the children of Israel beyond the river, the other tribes of Israel, he reminded them of that promise that God made with them when they stood before him, that is their forefathers in Mount Sinai. That he will make them a nation, a nation of holy royal priesthood. And some people say, well, in the ancient times, 
God said to Israel, you will be a royal priesthood, but now he tells us, so we replace them. What foolishness. He's speaking about the same people. That's what God is saying here. Now that you finally came back and you are keeping my covenant, now I can finally fulfill this promise that I made to you at Sinai. And that's what he's talking about. You are going to be called the priests of the Most High, of the Eternal. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the nations. So you see, speaking about physical people. We're not going to have the Spirit of God. We're going to be a royal priesthood. And the nations of the earth are going to come to the royal priesthood of Israel, the commonwealth of Israel, to have an access to God. Because without it, they have no hope. They're cut off from the covenants and the promises. Without background, you just don't understand what you read in the New Testament. And many people go to the end of the story. And when you go to the New Testament, you go to the end of the story. So people say, I don't want to hear the beginning of the story or the middle or in the between. Just tell me the end of the story. Read to me from the New Testament. Now, don't you understand it? See how dark is the eyesight of people. And we must come out of this Babylon, out of darkness, into the light. And so, God is going to glorify his nations. His nation Israel. In verse 7, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion... They shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double land, physical. The meek shall inherit the earth. That's what Christ is talking about, and people don't get it. Because they have no background to know what he's talking about. But salvation is of the Jews. Salvation is of Israel, the Israel that reads these words from the beginning until the end and has an understanding. And so, therefore, in their land, they shall possess double everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the eternal, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. And that was a problem of his people Israel. But he has healed them now. And they are his people. And he is glorified in them. And I will direct their work in truth. And will make them an everlasting covenant. The new covenant. With Israel and Judah. Not the nations. With Israel and the house of, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Then, that covenant, which is a marriage covenant, is going to produce the children, which are going to be the nations. And that's a plan of God that people don't understand, because they don't read it. Verse 9, their descendants shall be known among the nations. See the contrast? Their descendants, that is of Israel, known among the nations. There is no such a thing as a Gentile church. The descendants shall be known among the nations. The Gentiles, that is... Gentiles, nations, that's the same word. And their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them. Now they're not willing to, but they're going to. That they are the posterity whom the eternal has blessed. They are the church of God. Not the lie that we've been taught for 2,000 years. I will greatly rejoice in the eternal. And now Israel is singing. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Now, God says those who do not have the garment of, of righteousness are not going to be in his kingdom. That's what he's talking about, his own people. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is the bride 
and the, and the, and the bridegroom, Israel, and the redeemer of Israel. For as the earth brings forth its bud, and as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the eternal God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. And all the nations of the earth will know that Israel is the true church of God, the commonwealth of Israel, and it's only through them that physical people from all around the earth will come to a physical nation who now has the Holy Spirit and has been glorified and beautified, and among whom some became spirit beings who would also reside in Jerusalem. And they will be ruled by spirit beings. Israelites, the apostles, what are they? You know, they're not Chinese. They're not from any other country. They're, they're Israelites. They're specific on the house of Judah. But they're Israelites. That's the key. The church, the commonwealth of Israel, both physical and spiritual. And gradually all the rest will become spiritual. And then those in the second resurrection, all the house of Israel will be resurrected. They will receive the Holy Spirit and then they will become spiritual. They'll all be a part of that bride of Jesus Christ, of the Redeemer, of the God of Israel, forever. And all the nations will become their children. They're not going to be a part of that marriage. No more than children become a part of the marriage of their father and mother. They remain the children. And they're happy. And so God makes it very plain. And people that don't understand it get totally confused. And at this point, I think I'll stop here and say greetings to all God's people. Until next time, this is Mordecai Joseph. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.